0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the
1: line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, how are you? I haven't talked to you much this week. Ben, it's really hard to talk to you. You're such a busy boy. So you finished school, but now you're 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 packing up, you're moving. I don't know. We're we're on different schedules. You're streaming at night, I'm streaming during the day. It's I don't know, it's hard to sync up. I'm doing well. (laughs) Um I've been I've been Playing a a lot of Magic, you know, Modern Horizons 2 dropped on Thursday on Magic Online, so I've been jamming that. We won't be talking about that this week, but we are going to be doing some Modern Horizons episodes in the very near future. Um, I have not yet dipped my toe into... The arena cube aka the companion cube but i will be excited to do some of that as well this week um so you know it's a, it's a good time to be playing magic the the weather has shifted it's nice out i don't know it's, it's feeling feeling like a, a lot of things have changed ben you know everyone, everyone everyone not everyone but a lot of people are vaccinated things feel like uh like a, a new a new page is turning over or whatever i agree it felt like summer officially yesterday i went to bed at like 2 a.m., woke up at
0: 9.30 a.m. I was, I was getting my, my natural sleep cycle back. It was good. Great. I'm so
1: glad that you woke up just before we recorded the show. <laughs> That's how it is. Classic does. Ben. That's why we set the time at 10 a.m. <laughs> so have you been uh, you been getting to jam some games of
0: Magic as well, or are you too busy these days? No, I've been playing a little bit. Uh, I've got a few Modern Horizons drafts under my belt, and it is super sweet, and I'm looking forward to that. A little bit of Arena Cube, and there's rain in the forecast for this week, so that means no golf, which means my Magic out will be going up significantly
1: do you love golf more than magic um no i don't Do you want to start a golf podcast <laughs> i do not <laughs> all right good good we've got we've got them secured and locked up here all right folks so uh we've got i think probably our last strix haven episode before the 50 takes episode will come out uh in store for you today. Uh, A really cool idea, as you can tell from the title, Pass-Fail. We're going to sort of just be discussing, you know, broad strokes things about the archetypes in the format and what makes some of them work and what makes some of them not work, right? So what what decks are passing, what decks are failing? Um, But before we get into any of that, we just have a little bit of housekeeping to get through. First things first is the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where you can go to give back to the show if you so choose. Um, There's a lot of great perks over there on the Patreon page, anywhere from access to the Discord all the way up to access to monthly coaching sessions with either me or Ben, which is a really, really sweet perk. Um, A lot of great stuff there. So if if you're feeling like you want to get back to the show, if you're feeling like you want some more access to the content that we're putting out there, um, the Patreon page is the place to be. And we want to welcome our new patrons each and every week to the fold. So this week we are welcoming Malta, Cameron, Taylor, Diogo, Leo, Garrett, and Steven. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate your support.
0: Yeah. Cannot say thank you enough. The Discord is gas and I've actually been using it. I think normally you and I are churning out the content. I've been using it, I think the way a member of the Discord would use it this week a little bit more than normal. So I did not do hardly any Modern Horizons 2 prep this week because I just wanted to play the format and kind of figure it out and explore like the good old days rather than pouring over the spoiler for 10 plus hours prior to playing the set. So mm-hmm. I just, you know, did my first draft, hopped in the big picture discussion channel, was looking at what people were saying, the what's the picks that sort of thing. So it was cool to just explore Modern Horizons to like a normal format. And I can confirm that Discord
1: helped quite a bit. Yeah, I, I have also been using it that way. I, I also decided, hey, well, we're not doing a crash course or a, a primer of any sort. We're just going to wait to get our hands on the cards before we talk about it. So I also didn't really look at a lot of the spoiler and I was just sort of surprised and reading through the cards. I actually did a sealed event first because I was like, I'm going to time out every pick of my draft just trying to read through all these cards if I just dive in. So I'll do a sealed first to have have some time to familiarize myself with the cards
0: for sure show is also brought to you in part by channel fireball channelfireball.com best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related they've got a lot of sweet stuff going on over channel fireball most recently we talked about this last week but still coming up they are hosting the official wizards magic modern horizons 2 pre-release party over discord you're going to play games via spell table um you pick a team that you want to join i'm representing team Daken. i'm representing team chatterfang So choose your team wisely. I don't know. I mean, I plan on winning quite a bit. I don't know about you.
1: No, I I, I plan on losing a lot. So that's an interesting choice you've made. (laughs) But yeah, it'll be good fun.
0: Uh, There's a bunch of other streamers, content creators on the different teams. So you can find your favorite creator, join their team and help battle over Spell Table to earn points for your team. So should be sweet. And whenever you go over to Channel Fireball for anything, whether it's a CFB Pro membership or a box of Modern Horizons two to draft with your fully vaccinated friends, make sure you use code LOL when you check out to let them know that we sent you over there, and we would really appreciate it.
1: All right, well let's let's dive in here first for uh, a roundtable, perhaps our last. Round table of the format, Ben. You've got a nice little draft log here for
0: us to look at. Yeah, so pack one, pick one. You're slam jamming multiple choice. Better than every common and uncommon in the set. Not particularly close. Uh, Blue X for the sorcery. If X is one, you scry one draw card. If X is two, you choose a player. They return a creature they control to their owner's hand. If X is three, you make a 4-4 four, four elemental token. And if X is four, you get to do all of the above. Pretty busted card.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Slam dunk here. Pack one, pick one.
0: Moving on to pack one, pick two. You see the following cards as options. This is a much weaker pack here. Um, cards in consideration. There's an Owlin Shield Mage, three white, black for the 3-3 three, three flyer, ward, pay three life. There's a Needlethorn Drake, blue, green for the 1-1 one, one flying death touch. Your lesson in the pack is Intro to Annihilation, the five mana destroy non on land permanent. It's controller draws a card. Hunt for specimens, one and a black for a sorcery make a one one pest and learn and then moving on to the uncommons there's not great options here decisive denial is probably the best blue green instant choose one target creature you control fights target creature you don't control or counter target non-creature spell unless it's controller pays three and then your rare is auric lore mage two black black for the three three and you can tap search your library for a card put it in your graveyard then shuffle and if it was an instant or sorcery card, you get a plus one plus one counter on Auric Lore Mage.
1: Have you played with the Lore Mage before? I have. It's sweet. What What do you do with it? You like been in bookworms or something? I've been to bookworms. I've had ways to
0: rebuy instants and sorceries out of my graveyard, like with a returned pass caller or something where you could sort of
1: tutor up things or also with the pillar drop warden. So there's some sweet things that you can do. All right. Cool. Yeah, I've not played with the card yet. So I probably won't have ever played with the card by the time this set is, uh, is behind us. But uh, yeah, good to hear. So I think, you know, like you said, this pack is super weak. I think the idea is like, all right, we'll identify the card that goes best with multiple choice, which is between Needlethorn Drake and Decisive Denial. Which do you think is better between those two? I think it's Denial. I agree. I think it's Denial. So it's between Decisive Denial and what I think is the best card in the pack, which is Hunt for Specimens. And I think I would just take Hunt here, you know, hunt and multiple choice pair nicely in a demir deck hunt is a nice like you know you can splash multiple choice in a black white or a black green deck pretty easily if you get an environmental sciences and you have the cheap learn and then you know mul- multiple choice is and easy include so i think i would take the hunt there rather than take denial yeah that was my thinking exactly
0: and i also selected hunt moving on to pack one pick three see the following cards as options there's intro to annihilation again as your lesson there's a cram session the one black green hybrid for a sorcery gain four life and learn and then moving on to the uncommons there's an academic dispute the red instant target creature blocks this turn if able you can have it gain reach until end of turn and then learn but again not a great pack there are a lot of stinkers here
1: yeah again so i think academic dispute is the best card in the pack and cram session is the best card with what you've drafted so far. And honestly, maybe I'm just too lost in the Demir sauce these days, Ben. But I think I would honestly just take Cram Session here.
0: I agree with that pick, I think, at this point in retrospect. I don't know. I keep thinking that Academic Dispute is awesome. And every time I've had it, it's been a little underwhelming. I think I'm picking it too highly.
1: Yeah, I really like the card. I think in draft, it's also just it's, it's one of those cards like Humiliate. I think Humiliate also falls in this category where it's really powerful and just the community at large is not as high on it or has never gotten as high on it as I am. And so I, even though I'm, I'm speculating on those cards, like Academic Dispute's late or Humiliate's late, I've sort of had to temper my expectations in terms of what it means for that color or color pair being open at the table. Like, I just don't think people recognize that Dispute is very good. But I have not also had the experience you have. Like, Dispute has felt good to me. Like, it's, it's just three modes, right? Single mana, cantrip or single mana, kill a creature, or single mana, surprise, block your flyer. You know, I I don't know. I I think it's super flexible. You really
0: want Prismari Pledge Mages, I think, to really maximize it, because the best thing is to eat your opponent's two drop, right? Yes, for sure. So I don't know. And I think Academic Dispute here keeps you open to Prismari. That's probably where my head was at. But I agree. I think I would take Cram Session here now in hindsight, because then you lock up two learn spells. And so if you get an environmental sciences, it's so easy to splash your multiple choice in any black deck.
1: Well, and you can also leave yourself open to Quandrix, right? Because Cram Session and multiple choice can go in that deck. Right. For sure. Yeah. So I ended up on Academic Dispute. We're now in retrospect
0: taking Cram Session. Moving on to pack one, pick four. See the following cards as
1: options. There's a Quandrix Campus. No campuses in pack one, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the rule. You don't take campuses in pack one. That is the rule. I think that's
0: a good rule, too, to be honest. I don't think it's just a meme. Yeah. Lesson in the pack is Introduction to Prophecy. Three mana for the sorcery. Lesson, scry two draw card. And then move it on to the uncommons. Again, there's a lot of stinkers here. Um, uncommon is Witherbloom Apprentice. Black green for a 2-2. Magecraft, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, each opponent loses one and you gain one.
1: Yeah, I think with Cram Session in your pile... This feels like a pretty straightforward Witherbloom apprentice to me. Given what you have, I think it makes sense that you took introduction to prophecy because you've got a red, a blue, and a black card. And so I think taking a locking up this colorless lesson, even though it's, you know, it's not that great, but in the the wake of the end of the format and people knowing how good environmental science is. Is Intro to Prophecy, I think, does a good impression of that card. Yeah, it's close, right? And I think I don't want to draft Witherbloom enough that even if
0: I had Cram Session, I would still take Introduction to Prophecy here, honestly.
1: Yeah, I'm not that opposed to Witherbloom. If it's any other card, sure. Like if it's Dina, I don't care about that card. If it's... I don't know. I don't know what I I don't even know what the other cards are. You know, Damagoth, Woe Eater, Ten the Pests, any of the other black green uncommons I don't care about. Apprentice I do care about. I like Apprentice a lot and I'm not that opposed to Witherbloom to not draft it here.
0: I agree. Apprentice is definitely the best gold card for Witherbloom, for sure. All right, moving on to pack one, pick five. You see the following cards as options. Again,
1: another really weak pack. And one of the things about these weak packs is it's really hard to read signals. Especially if you don't start off with a, if you started off with something super powerful, and I guess you did, right, with multiple choice, but you just haven't seen blue, really. It's, It's easier to just like go, all right, I'm just gonna, if the power level is flat, I just take a blue card to go with my busted blue rare, but you don't haven't really been given that opportunity this draft.
0: No. So options in this pack here are Prismari Pledge Mage, the Prismari-Prismari hybrid for the 3-3 Defender that can attack whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, Needlethorn Drake, blue-green for the 1-1 Flying Death Touch, Leyline Invocation five green sorcery make a fractal equal to the number of lands you control
1: and that's really about it yeah this has been stinkers you see your second strict proctor in the rare slot of this draft so far which is the two mana one three flyer that you can't really play unlimited because it also hoses your etb effects which white has quite a few of. Yeah, I, I like the pick you've made here, given, I, like, I don't know what I would take here if I was on my black-green route. I guess I would take Leyline invocation. There's also an infused with Vitality, though this feels kind of early for that. But w- given what you've drafted, I like locking up the two-drop prismaria pledge mage here uh, lets you play arguably your two best other cards with multiple choice and dispute so you could be on a a good path for a prismaria deck here yeah so that is what i took and so our pile
0: right now is pledge mage multiple choice dispute hunt for specimens and introduction to prophecy moving on to pack one pick six see the following cards as options there's another cram session combat professor still in the pack Three white, two, three flyer at the beginning of combat on your turn. Target creature gets plus one, plus oh, and gains vigilance until end of turn. And I think those are the only two cards in consideration here. Your rare is a lesson. Uh, Illuminate history, the two red, red. Discard any number of cards, then draw that many cards. And if you have threshold, if there are seven or more cards in your
1: graveyard, make a three, two spirit token. Wow. Boomer coming in with the threshold keyword. Love (laughs) it. Yeah. I mean, this just seems like a criminally late combat professor, I think you take it here. But I think the important question is, what do you foresee your deck looking like when you take Combat Professor here, right? Because you've sort of got this hodgepodge now of, well, not really hodgepodge. You could just be Prismari, cut the hunt for specimens. But how does Combat Professor make its way into your deck? And what are you looking to do in the future of the draft? Well, to be honest with you, I'm really not worried about what my deck looks like at this point. And
0: maybe I should be. But like my mindset right now is the packs have been weird. I don't really feel like I have any sort of sense for what's open other than like this combat professor is way too late. Like this is far and away the clearest signal I've gotten. Like pick six combat professor is like you should be drafting white right now. So I think I'm hoping if the packs keep going this way to get into white and maybe pair it with red, maybe pair it with black. Um, and then hope to pick up an environmental sciences to splash multiple choice i think that would be my ideal scenario but to be honest with you like we could be prismari we don't have to play this combat professor if it's just an aberration in the packs you know and maybe people are undervaluing it so i'm not too worried about what my I mean, deck
1: looks like i'm really worried about trying to figure out what colors are open i guess that's, that's more the question i meant to ask just like what are the the roots you see by taking this card and you you basically answered it right like ideally white is open you get to play combat professor and then still keep your options open with black or red and then also hope to be able to still play multiple choice as a splash card
0: yeah so draft rounds out next pick a uh, campus guide pack one pick eight i broke the rule took a lore hold campus out of a very weak pack um, picked up an infuriate we wield the auric lore mage we wield a lore hold apprentice so it was a really strange draft like got some late uh, lore hold cards And then in pack two, opened a Retriever Phoenix, uh, three and a red, two, two, Flying Haste. Uh, Whenever you cast it, you learn. That essentially just locked me into Lorehold um, and pretty much drafted Lorehold the rest of the way and then picked up uh, the ability to splash multiple choice.
1: Nice. That's great. Yeah, that looks like a really good Lorehold deck. I don't don't often say that about Lorehold, but this looks like a really good one. Yeah, it was sweet. All right. So today's episode is brought to you by the discord actually we have a channel in there called episode suggestions and this one is inspired from uh (laughs) sort of interesting the mailman has uh has inspired this episode with this suggestion uh they said i'm saying i'm a new player playing okay at platinum level but still don't understand clearly what people mean when they say aggro silver quill versus control versus mid-range what's the anatomy slash play style like Two drops over removal, uh, creature count to spells. How do you assess what makes a good deck? Reverse engineering some of your successful and unsuccessful aggro control and mid-range decks on the Strixhaven format would be enlightening. And I think we're not quite going to do this, but it definitely inspired us to be like, well, how do we look at what the archetypes in Strixhaven are, where they fall under that, you know, spectrum of aggro to control, and what makes some of them successful and what makes some of them fail, right? What makes them pass and what makes them fail? So that's, that's what we're going to be doing today, Ben.
0: Yeah. And I think in a broad sense, a really broad sense, and I'm curious to get your take on this. In my experience, my best decks are one, when I start down a college and it's open, and I don't have to pivot off of it. Or two, I read signals and find the open college. And you know, after I find that open college, I'm the only person drafting it. I have not found that when I'm competing with other people for colleges that I generally get ideal versions of any of the decks.
1: Well, and honestly, that first scenario is effectively the second scenario as well, except you're just not burning like your first three to five picks. Right. You know, it's just like, well, I found that Quandrix was the open lane, but I also started with Quandrix Apprentice into Mage Duel, into whatever, Barian Books. Right, right, right. So I think this will be a really interesting conversation, not only for Strixhaven in particular, but also for just broad strokes about thinking about what makes certain deck types tick. Because, you know, when we got this question, I was like, well, maybe there's something there for us to do like a just a broader level up episode about those kinds of of decks and limited but Ben was like but they're just so different right Aggro decks in strixhaven look different than agro decks in kaldheim or zendikar rising or whatever they're just they're the same sort of game plan like get your opponent dead but the makeup of them is so different control decks in these formats just look so different right like snow based multicolored good stuff control decks in kaldheim are just different than demir based control decks in strixhaven so i think we're going to have to look at it under this specific umbrella but i think there will be some broad takeaways as well.
0: Yeah. And one of the things that is true about every format and credit to Alex, I think he was the first person that I heard reference this Alec Nikolic. He talks about rules of engagement for a format, like how you have to engage with the format based on the types of cards that get frequently played or what the most powerful cards are. So there's like a broad set of rules like, you know, you have to play a two drop or you're going to die or (laughs) you need to value mana fixing highly because there's a lot of good cards that you can splash just like big big picture ideas about the format that help focus in on how the decks are going to be built.
1: Yeah. So we have sort of five bullet points here to talk about the rules of engagement for Strixhaven before we get into the deck. So what's rule number one? You have to have learn
0: and lesson at a very high clip in every deck to be able to compete in the lens of card advantage. If you don't have, you know, five learn spells and five lessons to go get and your opponent does, you're going to be operating at a significant disadvantage during gameplay.
1: Yeah. And this is not only true for whatever late game decks that want to, you know, keep the card advantage flowing. It's one of the reasons that the aggro decks are so effective in this format is that they have access to study break and guiding voice, right? These cards that not only progress the game plan of get your opponent dead by tapping their blockers or by, you know, growing your creature so that it can attack that turn. But then that's also drawing you into a two one flyer or two plus one plus one counters and vigilance to help you race like the ability to keep the card advantage flowing for aggro decks is also very big game. It's also wrapped up in magecraft,
0: right? So yes, magecraft keeps getting triggered over and over again by learn lesson, you know, each instant or sorcery with learn is essentially two magecraft triggers over subsequent turns, which is huge.
1: Yeah, so magecraft power is not only relying on having good learn lesson in the in the spell department, specifically uh, to keep that flow, but also knowing what magecraft is the most important to trigger. You know, I think there is a sort of sense of, I mean, Prismari, I think, is very wrapped up in this with the aggressive creatures, Symmetry Sage, Prismari Pledge Mage, and Prismari Apprentice, what I have dubbed the Holy Trinity of Strixhaven. Um, But basically all of the Pledge Mages, I think, are are big for this, right? Silver Quill. you want to be able to get that thing lifelink and flying in a turn if possible. Um, Eager First Year has been a huge overperformer, I think, in this respect as well being able to just surprise make it a three two a four two a five two in a single turn
0: oh yeah love eager first year that i think the biggest shift for me in white aggro in the format Was deciding that Eager First Year was almost a pull into White Aggro. Not quite, but it's a premium, premium card in White Aggressive decks.
1: Yeah, I went from thinking about, okay, Arrogant Poet is the best two drop in Silver Quill to Leech Fanatic is the best two drop in Silver Quill at Common. And honestly, it it just has to be Eager First Year by, like, I think a significant margin at this point.
0: I agree. And also, when you prioritize Eager First Year that way, it lets you tow the line between Silverquill and Lorehold longer, potentially.
1: Right. You would rather tow the line between those two decks than between Silverquill and Witherbloom.
0: Right. In Lorehold, again, it's that pledge maze that you want to be able to trigger at instant speed to, you know, pump its power and maybe first strike something down out of nowhere and then in Quandrix, same deal. You want to put plus one, plus one counters on your pledge mage, and you want to put lands in your hand off of the apprentice.
1: Yeah, and Witherbloom, as we talked about in the round table, being the best non-rare for that deck, um, super, super important. And I think that's like sort of the crux of the best versions of those decks is just Witherbloom Apprentice pressuring your opponent with magecraft. Yep, shocking. The pledge mages and apprentices, the gold uncommons for each color pair are very important. Uh, number two, you need to be able to deal with a 6-6 fractal slash... Removal is good, but the removal that specifically can deal with that, right? That's why it's one of the many reasons why Baryan Books is so good. I mean, Heated Debate is just hyper-efficient, but you know, at a certain point, your red decks need to be able to deal with a Leyline Invocation token or a Serpentine Curve token. I think those Fractal tokens from those cards, from even Fractal Summoning, you know, because they exist at common, you should expect to see them a lot. And so if your deck can't beat them or can't deal with them, you're going to have a bad time in the matches
0: right and every format kind of has a magic number and i think the magic number in strixhaven is actually four right the four four elementals that are running around but there is pigment storm in red to deal with a five five but i think prismari really struggles if it can't beat a six six fractal unless you're hyper aggressive you know what i mean so that's why it's sort of i chose six six plus there in the show notes but i think you know knowing that magic number being four as well and that's part of the reason that witherbloom pledge mage excels so much in the format Right, yeah. as a five man a five five, because it can block all those four fours so well. Yeah, absolutely. Next up, you need to affect the board early, whether that's defensively or offensively. And I think this is probably just a tenant of all limited formats going forward until proven otherwise. But in strict statement, the two drops are really important and there's not a lot of good ones. And if your opponent's playing a two drop into a three drop and you're not, especially in the best of one era, you're just really far behind.
1: Number four, start your drafts with blue cards or white cards if possible and figure it out from there. And it's just something that I really only came to about a week or two ago. Um, but it really makes sense because I think white and blue give you the pivots to the, the best decks. And those are the non-Witherbloom decks, essentially. But they also give you pivots too. I think the best decks are, in my mind, Quandrix and Silverquill. And maybe Silverquill is just the clear front runner. but I still like my Quandrix decks quite a bit. Um, but, you know, pivoting between blue-green and blue-red, or, and even blue-black to, to an extent, with Demir being, I think, a very real deck in the set. Um, and then pivoting between white based aggro and then either deciding whether you're going to pair that with red or black. I think just, you know, green and black give you less flexibility. Green, black, and red, honestly, give you less flexibility in the format.
0: Yep, agree. And last one here reading signals is more important in Strixhaven than it was in Caldheim or some of the more recent sets we've had. Carving out your lane, which is something we've talked more on the podcast, you know, within the last, I don't know, six months or so than we ever have before.
1: It just, doesn't work that well in a guild set no it's so important as ben said earlier in the episode if you can find the open lane, if you can find the college that no one else is drafting, even if it's Witherbloom, I would say, well, maybe sometimes, even if it's Witherbloom, depending on what uncommons are opened. But even if it's Witherbloom, I think that's what you should be doing. And you need to know the cards worth speculating on, right? You should just not be passing Quandrix Apprentice, Killian, Igneous Inspirations, whatever that list of cards is in pack one, you should just not be passing them almost ever, right? It, w- it would take a lot for me or we take a very strong card in the pack and a strong start for me to be on like silver quill card for the first three or four picks and then see a quandrix apprentice and not speculate on it because whatever even if it's only five or ten percent of the time that i'm going to move into quandrix those five or ten percent drafts are going to end up with great decks. And the other 90% or 95% where I stay Silver Quill, I'm probably not going to miss out on whatever I passed for that apprentice. Right. Because the thing is, once you find the open college, you are Overflowing in playables. Your cup overfloweth. Right. And then you get to do these sick things where you're like, I'm going to take Barry books because it's a monocolored card and I'm going to float this Quandrix cultivator because I know no one else is drafting this college in this table. You know? Like you get to do those those sick wheel the gold card things, which you which is, I think, unique to a guild set. And it's one of the reasons your cup overfloweth with playables. Yeah. For sure. All right, well, let's dive
0: into some of the specifics here. First up, we're going to take a look at the aggro decks, which I think in the format are the white decks. If you're playing white, you should be, I think, hoping to be very aggressive as a default, but the white decks can play a little bit more of a mid-range or a controlling role and still be successful, I think. But if you're drafting Silver Quill or Lorehold, Your default should be aggro. You know, you want a good curve, all of all of those sorts of things that you think about stereotypical aggro decks. You want good curve. You want guiding voice. You want study break as ways to augment your creatures. And then you want some removal to help push blockers
1: out of the way. I think one of the most interesting things about decks like this is balancing creatures, removal and creature augmentation right because this is these aggressive decks in in the classic sense or in every format and you know I think we we talked about this a lot in Kaldheim with balancing creatures and the combat tricks and the equipment and like thinking about, you know, do you want a mix of both? Do you want to go all in on the run amux? Do you want to go all in on the equipment and coal or whatever? I think there's a similar balance here and a balance through aggressive decks in all sets because aggressive decks are where you want creature augmentation the most because creature augmentation is best when you're aggressive, right? You're scared of getting two for one or whatever. So I think balancing those three components is really a tricky thing, right? You don't want to end up with too few creatures, too many creature augmentations, or, you know, not enough we talk about questions versus answers, right? You want to be posing questions in aggressive decks. So not ending up with enough creatures or enough threats and too many ways to respond to stuff, right? Too many Lash of Malices, too many Mage Hunters Onslaughts, that, that type of deal.
0: Yeah, I remember very distinctly when I was playing at the local game store when I was a kid. I don't know, I was probably like 12, 13 years old. I drafted what I thought was the sickest red black deck. And I just had, you know, removal for days. And I was like, oh, you know, this deck's awesome. I have all these premium removal spells. And then I just died because I was only (laughs) trading one for one over and over and over again. And my opponent cast some two for ones and pulled ahead on card advantage even
1: though I was killing all of their threats with premium removal. Yeah, I think that's a that is definitely a level up and I, but then I think it's also maybe and if we do it another one of our limited level downs episodes like, you know, what's your win condition? I think sort of gets overused. Like it's it's quite easy to win games of magic, but I also think creature count is deceptive specifically in this format. Right? I think don't get fooled by that number. Like you want your creature count to be high in these decks, but also remember that You know, your six learn spells are also inkling summonings. If you've drafted learn lesson appropriately, if you've adhered to rule of engagement number one of the format, then I think you're gonna be okay in that department. So don't get don't get sort of locked up in what that number is and think about it in a broader sense.
0: Yeah. So if we hone in on key cards for both Silver Quill and Lorehold, I think the two learn spells that you really want are guiding voice and study break. And then lesson-wise, you really want expanded
1: anatomy and Inkling Summoning, right? Yes. And as many of them as you can get your hands on, as we talked about in the Learn Lesson episode, you know, this is, these are the decks that want redundancy and not a toolbox. And then as far as creatures, I think the two most premium for both decks
0: is Combat Professor and Silver Quill Pledge Mage. And even in Lorehold, I think you want Silver Quill Pledge Mage ahead of the Lorehold Pledge Mage.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I stand by it. I think Silver Quill Pledge Mage is incredibly important for the aggro decks and is really hard to race effectively because either they give it lifelink when you try and race them or you hold back creatures and they give it flying and now you can't block it anyway it's very very good yeah it's very difficult to play against and then
0: i think just as far as you know what makes the decks fall apart or fail just in a broad sense it's just not having a good enough curve of creatures you know you really want premium two
1: drops you want premium three drops so that your guiding voices and your study breaks are going to be good and this is one of the reasons that white-black is just so much better than white-red, in my opinion, is that red just doesn't offer two drops. Like, you're playing illustrious historian, which is Fine, but you would much rather have arrogant poet to be evasive or leech fanatic to help you race or whatever. Also, poet and fanatic wear counters very well, whereas historian is something like you're actively hoping dies. It's, it's kind of awkward. White white black just does it better, right?
0: So, just as far as a skeleton of a silver quill shell, I would say something in the five to seven two drop creature range, five to six three drop creatures, two to four four drop creatures, and then somewhere in like the seven to nine non-creature spell range and those non-creature spells you really want as many guiding voices and study breaks as you can get you're not cutting those cards and then you want generally i've been happy with a one of either professor's warning or beaming defiance to protect you know whatever creature i've put expanded anatomy on that sort of thing Mm -hmm. um and then you want a removal suite but not a lot like one of you know like lash of malice mage hunter's onslaught and rise of Extuse is a great removal package you don't need seven or eight removal spells you know
1: no for sure like i said aggro decks want to pose questions not need answers right you're you should be playing the threats and your opponent has to find the removal for it not vice versa because it's going to be very hard for you to press that game plan of get your opponent dead as fast as possible if what you're looking at is god especially something like expel like let's talk about why expel is not a great card is because expel is a removal spell for a defensive deck right aggressive decks want removal to get blockers out of the way what does expel not do it doesn't get a blocker out of the way and so when white is so aggressive these sort of reactionary removal spells are these removal spells that deal with game plans where you're racing or whatever that's its best case scenario those are going to be cards that are going to fail a good percent of the time it's another reason why you know even in a format where there's a high number of artifacts and enchantments a naturalize or a disenchant effect is a little dicey in your aggro decks because aggro decks have fewer draws right you want to have fewer turns in the game and so situational cards are going to be bad for your deck some percentage of the time you want your cards to like always do the thing that they're supposed to do in your aggro decks 100 and
0: to just sort of put into context the removal thing like if you had to choose between the two you would rather choose an aggro deck that has lots of guiding voices and study breaks and no removal spells versus a deck that has like five or six removal spells and no guiding voices or study breaks right Mm -hmm. and it's it's not a particularly close choice i don't think
1: no, I mean, like, and Study Break is, I mean, it's like, I'm sort of joking, it's sort of hyperbole, but in an aggro deck, Study Break is kind of removal, right? Right. It's getting blockers out of the way for a turn. That's what you want to do. Yeah. So we're going to take a look at and just kind of describe orally here a couple decks for you. One that is
0: sort of ideal and then one that sort of didn't get there and why we think it didn't get there. And, you know, if this sort of thing is helpful to you, I would encourage you if you're in the discord to go look at trophy decks. If you're struggling with, you know, how should I build Silver Quill or how should I build Prismari? It's one of the best ways to just see, Okay, these are the cards that are winning and it's not foolproof, right? Like you can have a bad deck that trophies but by and large there's enough trophy decks that you start to see patterns of which cards recur again and again and again
1: you'll see and you'll see trends of this is always in the deck or this is never in the deck or oh wow like for witherbloom to win you have to have like five on color rares or whatever you know you'll see trends that will then give you ideas about what those decks look like in terms of how to comprise them in the draft
0: so if we look at a good silver quill deck here first things that jump out to me are Premium two drops that all have two toughness. We've got Eager First Year, Triple Silver Quill Apprentice, and a Thunderous Orator, as well as I know a hunt for specimens on curve just to get on board and go learn. But that's a really great suite of two drops.
1: Well, the other thing that I'm seeing here with Triple Apprentice, Eager First Year, and I'll, I'll jump up to the three drop slot with Double Silver Quill Pledge Mage is you've got a ton of Magecraft triggers you're interested in doing. And as those start to stack, Now you're even more interested in, and I'm seeing them in the deck, right? We're seeing the lone copy of Professor's Warning. And hey, let's get another protection spell in there with God's Willing, because those are not only going to help you in terms of protecting your creatures, but then they're just going to do this whole explosive turn of now I get to stack these three plus one plus O triggers however I want, targeting whatever creatures I want. Right. And then we've got, as augmentation spells, we've got the double guiding
0: voice, we've got a study break, and we've got the cards you want in your lesson board. Not multiple copies, but we have one of environmental sciences, expanded anatomy, inkling summoning, intro to prophecy, and intro to annihilation. So we have the full suite of the common colorless ones, plus an inkling summoning to go get. Yeah.
1: I mean, this is just rock solid, cheap threats, And then backed up by, you know, no combat professors, but double Spectre of the Fens, which not only is an evasive threat, but provides reach in the late game. And that's another thing to think about with these decks is like, okay, if my opponent stabilizes at six or eight, or whatever, how do I push damage? Well, flyers and sort of activated abilities like Spectre is what you want.
0: Right. And then removal spell wise, there's just two, right? There's Lash of Malice, and there's Closing Statement.
1: Yeah. And 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 of course, Intro to Annihilation in the sideboard. But that's great, right? You don't need much more interaction than that. I agree. All right, taking a look at the one that didn't quite get there. What leaps out to you? So the thing that leaps out to me is like, this doesn't look like a bad deck, to start right there's just and this is often the case i think it's just those like five or six right those 17 through 23 playables that you're like i wish this was something else so the cards that jump out to me are unwilling ingredient cram session i don't particularly want in my aggro decks double lore hold pledge mage i don't particularly want in my aggro decks crushing disappointment is fine but like i I don't again if i could choose to have a silver quill aggro deck that ran this or didn't run it i would want to not run it and i think pilgrim of the ages as well as a card that's like yeah this is fine but three mana two one is not what these decks want
0: well and even you know in the five drop slot, we've got a wandering archaic which is a great card but not a great aggro card and same thing for witherbloom pledge mage like you're fine playing these things as curve toppers but just throughout there are just things that you don't want or are not as good as the other silver quill deck
1: yeah and th- three Hand Disruption spells, Double Humiliate plus Agonizing Remorse. I think once I have Double Humiliate, I wouldn't care about having Remorse there, you know? So just just little things like that. Like, And I like Agonizing Remorse a lot. It's just, is that what this deck wants to be doing?
0: Right. And then there's only, you know, four two-drop creatures with those mm-hmm. double humiliates which is a little awkward because humiliate is not nearly as good when you don't have a creature in play and then the lore hold pledge mages that you mentioned i think you know find to play in lore hold but you really don't want those in silver quill and they're difficult to cast right yes so our curve is a little awkward in that they're difficult to cast and are not always necessarily coming down on turn three
1: yeah i think that's a really interesting point about the wandering archaic because i was like that was going to be a card that i was going to mention as like well we've got this sick bomb and wandering archaic but you're right, like. This aggro deck doesn't care that much about a five mana 4 4. <laughs> no, not at all. So that's what's going on with Silver Quill. And Lorehold is going to be pretty similar, right, Ben, in terms of its composition and in terms of the cards that sort of matter to it as well. Yeah, I think generally it's almost the ideal
0: creature curve is the same and then the same mix of non-creature spells the things that change are you get access to enthusiastic study and the red removal suite so you know you really want multiple copies of enthusiastic study and you'd like a heated debate you know maybe you have a pigment storm at the top of the curve although i think in general i wouldn't care about that And you know hopefully you have a shock or something instead of lash of malice
1: yeah the thing that i want to counter here the thing that i want to point out that like can go wrong with lore hold is i'm already just thinking about how stacked that three drop slot is getting with heated debates and igneous inspirations and enthusiastic studies and now we don't like do i even have room for my creatures do i even have room for the the red white or the black white pledge mages do i have room for other good three drops like a reflective golem can be quite potent in these white aggressive decks you know like that is something to consider and then that's another reason to just like really 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 prioritize the two drops Right. And then I think we've said it
0: on the podcast, but just to state it very clearly here, the graveyard synergies and Quintorius are just a trap in Lorehold. Like it's going to work one out of every 30 drafts or something, 20 drafts, but it's not what you should be planning to do. You should be white and you should be aggro. And I think another big trap for Lorehold is if you've got two, three enthusiastic studies, you need to have two twos in your two drop slot and you need to have things with three toughness in your three drop slot. So if you don't have creatures with enough toughness to really let you leverage enthusiastic study and survive combat, you're going to have a bad time in Lorehold Aggro. Yes.
1: So let's take a look again at a couple of decks one that is perhaps good and one that is perhaps not so good. I'm looking at the, the good... Lorehold deck we have here. A boy howdy, this curve is just beautiful. Like it's chock full of two and three mana spells, a couple of combat professors uh at the top of the curve, and, and a wandering archaic as well. But that's again, I think not something that I'm as excited about. But I'm looking at this like great suite of twos, triple thunderous orator, double eager first year, Stone Rise Spirit is another card that can maybe help push some damage later. Um, so much learn, triple enthusiastic study, triple study break. This deck is just so consistent. Right. That's the thing that stuck out to me about all of the decks that are in the
0: good category is they're just so redundant with all of the effects that you want. Like if you think Lorehold, what are the cards I want in Lorehold? Like the good Lorehold decks have all of those cards in multiples and are going to do their thing so much of the time. And again, like this has triple enthusiastic study and all of the two drops have two toughness. And then you have Lorehold Pledge Mage that really plays well with enthusiastic study as well. You have Mavinda that plays really well with enthusiastic study
1: as well. Yeah. Oh my God. That's crazy. Yeah. Like what what is your, your worst card here is... Expel or Pilgrim of the Ages or Wandering Archaic. Honestly, like that card does nothing in this deck. That's fair. That's fair, and and it should be noted that we are splashing for Blot Out the Sky, but with this great lesson board of including environmental sciences, that's super super easy to do with how many learn spells there are.
0: Right, and also double expanded anatomy in the in the lesson board as well. So. Premium Lorehold deck there, and then moving on to the one that is not good, again, you're kind of like awkwardly half and half. And this deck has a lot of powerful cards in it, right? It's splashing for double closing
1: statement with good mana. You know, you have the environmental sciences and you've got a lot of learn cards. You've got bombs. You've got an Asari here. You've got Venerable Warsinger, which maybe is not bomb status, but is like BB plus in a red, white deck. But it just doesn't have the redundancy of twos, right? In the
0: two drop slot, we have Campus Guide, Eager First Year, Illustrious Historian, and that's it as far
1: as, you know, three two drop creatures. Yeah, you can't affect the board early. And then even in your three drops, you have what, two Pilgrim of the Ages, Selfless Glyph Weaver and Venerable Warsinger, these are not aggressive cards. And, and when you are not aggressive with Lorehold, the reason we should maybe talk a little bit about this, because I mean, even, you know, we got a comment on our last showdown video on YouTube where someone was like, Have you, you know, have you played with Lorehold excavation? It's quite good, the, the two-mana enchantment. And I just think if you're ever trying to do the like assemble these different pieces, doing the graveyard synergy thing, making spirits, whatever. Anytime you're moving away from aggro in that respect, you're getting into dangerous mid-range zone, right? You just don't have the ways to compete as a true control deck with the other decks in the format. And what I mean by that is the blue decks in the format, right? Blue, green, blue, red, and and even blue, black are just going to do late game stuff better than you most of the time.
0: Yep. And so this deck's awkwardly mid-range, I think. It doesn't pressure well, but like, looks like it kind of is trying to be an aggro deck, but then like has two pillar drop rescuers that are going to rebuy the Nasari or whatever, but then you're planning for your stuff to die. Like this deck is planning for things to almost not go
1: well. And spoiler, they didn't. (laughs) And too much interaction, double closing statement, heated debate, expel, rip apart, divine gambit, shock. Like that's too many answers and not enough questions. Yep. I agree. So moving into a different flavor of aggro, we've got tempo aggro in prismari and i do think that we've talked about this before but i do think this is prismari at its best is when it's doing this i don't think prismari wants to be a control deck i think Rutha is just sort of its own thing right not only is Rutha a game plan in and of herself but she's also just a game plan not only in blue red but a game plan in you know splash it in blue green splash it in red white splash it in blue black whatever like Rutha is just her own deal do you agree with that Yes, I agree completely. So I think the the way you want to build Prismari is at its core, it's got to be an aggressive deck. And its aggressive nature comes from, as I have dubbed it, the Holy Trinity. And that's Prismari Pledge Mage, Prismari Apprentice, and Symmetry Sage as your aggressive one and two drops. And then, you know, maybe you're in the three drop slot. You've got some Spectacle Mages and Frost Tricksters as just evasive threats. And the rest of it is ways to you know, help that game plan. And so that's either removal with variant Books and Heated Debate, that's, uh, you know, serpentine curve to keep, you know, threats hitting the board, but also triggering your magecraft stuff. It's cheap cantrips like curator strategic planning, it's combat tricks like enthusiastic study or arcane subtraction. Those are the things that you want to be doing, right? Especially those last two to keep that learn lesson thing flowing so you can continue to trigger magecraft. And then, you know,
0: As far as ways the deck can fail, I have lots of expertise in Prismari (laughs) not going well. How do you feel about this? I do not want to play Prismari at this point if I don't have at least two copies of Baryon Books. Do you
1: feel like that's a fair statement? I don't know about two, but I do. There's a pretty significant difference of I end the draft with a Prismari deck that has a Baryan Books or more, and a deck that doesn't. I agree with that. There's a line there. And I think it's just so
0: clutch, because otherwise you just don't beat Fractals, right? Like, your opponent makes a 6-6, and you're like,
1: oh, that's unfortunate. It's gonna kill me. I mean, you can beat a Fractal if you're like, about to close the game. Like, I just need a couple more hits with my Prismari Apprentice or my Symmetry Sage. Like, you can race it but you know if, it, if it's if you're not in that situation I agree you're just like oh a six six cool I lose
0: right and then another one is just there are so many prismari decks that just have horrible curves right if you don't get prismari apprentices and prismari pledge mages you just sometimes I've seen prismari lists that have two two drops three two drops like that's just not a recipe for success in this format and I think even if you're having to dip into illustrious historian territory, you're in for a bad time.
1: Yeah, because, and Ben just mentioned this before, but it's, I think, important to just highlight why. Because enthusiastic study will not pair well with it, right? A 2-2 is still gonna kill that in combat. You're not gonna win the combat with your 2-1. So it's a real problem there, I agree. And then I think just the
0: biggest way, like overarching, is getting stuck halfway in between the prismari tempo aggro deck and prismari control because there is a prismari control deck as well right there's a lot of powerful control cards in blue and red and like it's really awkward if you end up half and half and i think that's the disaster scenario
1: yeah i think it's just you should be defaulting if you're prismari you should be defaulting to the tempo aggro version and i think so what makes I mean, we should say perhaps what we think the word tempo means because i think uh-oh. that gets thrown around a lot oh wait whoa uh-oh, are you not prepared for this no, I just tempo's tempo a, tempo's a buzzword, man. Tempo is a buzzword. But I think why is this different than Silver Quill or Lorehold aggro? And I think it's because your tempo in my mind is getting an advantage on mana. It's like, all right, I get the, you know, you've affected the board with your five-five, and now I'm going to cast divide by zero to bounce it and then grab a thing and that's going to trigger all my magecraft stuff, enable attacks with my pledge mages, et cetera. So you're like getting this sort of snowball-y thing, this effect on on time, right? Divide by zero is not killing your 5-5, But it's getting it out of the way for a turn, and that is as effective in this deck as killing something. It's a similar thing to, I think, what Study Break does for the white decks. Right. Or like Frostlinks,
0: you know, 2-2 Flyer that taps something down for a turn to maybe let you push seven or eight damage. Like Prismari pushes damage in big chunks over like, two or three critical turns.
1: Yeah. And so it's also important when you're playing this deck or when you're building this deck is to think about how it's going to do that, right? Like th- your sequencing is so important here. Like, do you want to trigger Magecraft this turn or do you want to play another Pledge Mage this turn to then enable a bigger Magecraft trigger on the following turn and thinking about those damage outputs or are they going to play, is this my last turn to attack with a 3-3 before they play a 4-4 that blanks it, etc.
0: Yeah. So if we take a look at the ideal Prismari shell, we want Five plus two drops, you know, preferably those Prismari Apprentices, Prismari Pledge Mages and Symmetry Sages, maybe Illustrious Historian if you're desperate. Two plus Barian Books and other cheap interaction, you know, your heated debates, that sort of thing. A lot of lesson learned to keep those triggers, you know, for your Magecraft cards rolling. And then, you know, you want a lot of cheap cantrips. You want your ops, you want your curates, you want your expressive iterations to enable attacks for those Prismari Pledge
1: Mages. Absolutely. So if we look at uh, a couple of versions of this deck, the good version, surprise, surprise, has not one, but two copies each of the Holy Trinity, two sages, two apprentices, two pledge mages. Wow. Yeah. It's got the double barion books at the top of the curve. There's an Asari here as a bomb chilling out. Yeah. And just tons of cheap ways to trigger magecraft, double arcane subtraction, expressive iteration, pop quiz, heated debate. Like it's It's just like trying to back up those six cheap threats as best as it possibly can.
0: Yeah. And I think things that are missing here that I would hope to see, I would like to see a Frost Trickster or two, yeah?
1: Yeah, I, I would not be mad. I think there's, I'm trying to look at like, you know, I'm playing a mascot interception in this deck, and I would happily swap that for a Frost Trickster for sure.
0: Right. And like Biblioplex assistance a little out of place.
1: But other than that, the deck's pretty darn tight. Yeah. So what jumps out at you at this not so good? Prismari deck that we have here. Yeah, when we look at this one, it's again,
0: like awkwardly mid range, right? i bordering on control. There's several things that are going on. here. <laughs> so the two drops are significantly worse, right? There's only three of them. And you have double pledge mage and befuddler and the prismari decks where you're planning to like block with your pledge mage
1: to get you towards later stuff. Those are the ones that I've just found have not worked nearly as well. Yeah. I mean, there's even moving up the curve, then there's just frost trickster and quandrix pledge mage as your only other threats in the three drop slot. Like This deck is just so awkward. It's like trying to do the serpentine curve thing because it's got a lot of spells, but it's only got one serpentine curve. It's got two Maelstrom uses, so maybe it's trying to do the big spell thing, but then it's only got Elemental Masterpiece, right? It's sort of all of these like stop-start things or these, well, it almost got there in this respect, but it doesn't, right? It's just not doing any of the style of decks well yeah i think
0: and just you know to zoom out again as far as successful and unsuccessful for all of them the successful decks have been hyper focused right and hyper redundant
1: and redundant yeah that's the thing that keeps jumping out to me as well Is like the multiple copies of things so like your deck is just gonna do the same thing game in and game out
0: yep you have a plan and you have redundant ways to enact that plan
1: all right ben you, you, you got to talk about your favorite deck here quandrix baby I hate to break it to Quandrix, but I've Oh no. I've left
0: I've left my love of Quandrix for Silver Quill and Lorehold. <laughs> okay. Wow. And Lorehold. All right, well I'll stay true to Quandrix. I'm in I'm in on white aggro decks at this point. Um but yeah, Quandrix, I think one of the sweetest things about Quandrix is that you go over the top of all of the other decks if the game goes long. So, you know, key cards that you're looking out for. Quandrix Apprentice in the two-drop slot to just keep those lands flowing. Mage Duel and Baryon Books are critically important as the two premium ways to interact in blue and green. And it's sweet that blue and green does get premium ways to interact, right? That's not typical for that color pair. And then I think Field Trip to ramp you as, you know, your your de facto ramp slash learn spell. And then also Witherbloom Pledge Mage, you know, curbing Field Trip into Witherbloom Pledge Mage on the following turn is a great way to stabilize.
1: And I think we, we sort of like jumped a piece here, which is we've got Quandrix under the umbrella of ramp slash midrange here. And the, th- the great thing about ramp decks is that they can play different roles. Ramp can sometimes be aggro, right? When your opponent goes emergent sequence on two into Quandrix cultivator on three into Leyline invocation on four, that is an aggressive start to a game of magic. But it can also just like ramp and draw cards and have inevitability and have a great learn lesson board and play bookworm and doing that thing that Ben talked about where it just goes over the top of every other deck.
0: And I think as far as ways that Quandrix really doesn't come together, I think, again, not enough two drops. You know, early in the format, I would have told you that I was hoping to not play Reckless Amplomancer. And, you know, I I don't think I'm ever cutting a Scurred Colony or a Reckless Amplomancer from a green deck at this point in the format. You just need to get on board and you really want to have that two drop so that you can mage duel early if you need to, especially like off of another spell, you know, right? Maybe you curate plus mage duel on turn three and you can't do that if you don't have a two drop on the board.
1: The other thing is looking at the top of the curve is not enough closers after ramping, right? Bookworm, Witherbloom, Mage, and Leyline Invocations are a must. And balancing those I think is tricky, right? Like, do you want a second Bookworm? Do you want three Leyline Invocations? Like, figuring out the composition of that top end I think is also important. And that's going to be based off largely what the lower half of your curve looks like in terms of how many early plays do you have and how many ways to ramp do you have.
0: And that is a problem with ramp decks in general, right? Like you run the risk of drawing all of your ramp and none of your top end or all of your top end and none of your ramp. So that's why I think it's almost best as like ramp slash mid range, right? You want a density of threat still in your Quandrix decks because I can't tell you the number of times either me or my opponents have, you know, Ramped to nine mana, and I'm like, "Oh Lord,
1: I'm in trouble." And then they're just out of steam, like they don't have threats after doing all the ramping. Well, I think that's generally true for these ramp mid range decks, except Field Trip plus Fractal Summoning sort of solves that problem for you.
0: Mm, yeah, good point. Good point. And then I think the last thing is, you know, you you really need to have interaction, right? The one of the worst things that can happen in quandrix is that you don't end up with Mage Duels and barian Books. At the end of the draft. And I think if that happens, you're going to have a bad time because Mage Duel is the single best way to catch back up in these Quandrix decks. And I think you frequently do need a turn with Mage Duel to catch back up to your Silver Cool opponents.
1: Yeah. So your ideal Quandrix Shell is, you know, again, I think this is just the, the case for limited five to seven two drops, but like you really want those twos. Field Trip and Quandrix Pledge Mage as your three drops. Three to four top end finishers. Maybe you can do more if you've got a ton of ramp. Um, And then you need that interaction, right? You need the Baryan Books, the Mage Duel, uh, Arcane Subtraction, Devouring Tendrils. Um, You know, you want the Learn, you want Cram Session, Pop Quiz, you want Card Draw, Eureka Moment, whatever. Like, there's a lot of moving pieces in this deck, um, but I think it's important to have a mix of those. Yeah. So if
0: we take a look at the good deck here, this deck, again, is just super solid and super redundant. So in the two-drop slot, we've got double Reckless Amplomancer, double Scurrid Colony, and then just a host of other cheap spells as far as ways to interact cheaply. Um, There's Arcane Subtraction and Cram Session as learn options. There's Decisive Denial and Devouring Tendrils as removal options. And then a couple cheap
1: counter spells and negate and test of talents. Yeah, really good. Well, what's wrong with my bad deck? There's redundancy here too. triple needle, thorn, Drake, triple pop quiz. Isn't that great? Double bookworm at the top of the curve. That's that's uh, consistent, right? <laughs> yeah, consistent in that, like, you're going to be casting medium cards
0: over and over, <laughs> and, over and over again. <laughs> I yeah, guess. yeah,
1: it will it will perform a medium amount every time. Yeah, there's just like. There's a lot to not like about this deck. I mean, there's a lot to like. It's got Quandrix Apprentice. It's got Tanazir Quandrix as the mythic elder dragon. It's got double bookworm at the top of the curve, but it doesn't have the good inner... Like, it's got a Baryan Books and a Mage Duel, but it's also playing, like frost trickster and spring main servant and letter of acceptance and i just i don't want any of those cards in my deck well right and the biggest thing that sticks out to me
0: is that there's just no ramp here right you don't have a single copy of field trip you know you have a eureka moment but you don't really have a way to keep lands flowing to get to that double bookworm at the top of the curve so you're just like playing these Needlethorn drakes and praying that your opponent doesn't kill you while you cast some pop quizzes and hit your land drops naturally to get to eight mana, which I don't think is a recipe for success for Quandrix. You either want to be like threat dense, or you want to be ramping aggressively. And this deck is doing neither of those two things.
1: I agree. The next deck that we're going to look at here is Witherbloom, Ben's favorite deck of the format. And I think it's interesting because Witherbloom looks like it wants to be a mid-range deck. And that's where it fails. Where where it passes, I think, is when you build it like an aggro deck.
0: Look at you turning things positive here. My Witherbloom notes were like terrible, terrible. Do not
1: draft. And that's how my article was for CFP Pro. I felt so bad. But like, that's really how I feel. And I, I got to tell the people the truth. Well, it's hard because what you have here is like key cards and there's, there is really only two, right? Really, it could just be one. It's Witherbloom Apprentice and Blood Researcher, I think is good, but Blood Researcher only works if you're doing the aggressive thing. If what you're trying to do is like grow your Blood Researcher over time and then crack in (laughs) with it, like you're just going to die to burying books. That's all that's going to happen is they're just going to go cool, three mana reset your Blood Researcher. You're not going to get there. For sure. So, right. You have like ways the deck can go wrong, which is a lot. Uh, You don't want to be sharing bloom with another drafter at the table. You want to, you know, having the wrong gold on commons opened at the table, right? It's really dependent on apprentice and researchers getting opened and passed to you. Um, You know, to things like Daymogoth eater and Tend the Pests and I'm forgetting the like both players sack a thing or... Uh, you know, whatever. They're just Dina. They're not important to the deck. Well, and there's like
0: a lot of Wombo combo things that are going on in Witherbloom, but you have to get the appropriate pieces of the Wombo combo and then draw them in the right order to do that style of thing, which is risky
1: business. Right. So the way that this deck passes is you build it like an aggro deck and you want a good curve of creatures, lots of two drops and blood researchers. You want the way you maximize Witherbloom Apprentice and Dina are by Having an aggro deck. So the Witherbloom Apprentice and Dina aren't like, ah, I have this like buffer of life and I'm mid range and I'm drawing cards or whatever. It's like, no, no, no. You're pressuring their life total not only with creatures on board, but by these little magecraft triggers. And then those life gain triggers are triggering Dina, which are going to also chip damage your opponent. Right. Those are your reach then. And all of a sudden they're like, whoa, I have to kill that card or I'm going to die the next two
0: spells my opponent's cast or whatever.
1: Right. I have faced like, it's a really tough choice when you're facing a good aggro Witherbloom deck and they have Dina and Apprentice in play and you're like, I don't know which one I have to kill right now. Like one of them is an engine, but another one is like potentially going to be a card that I have to deal with anyway, because they can just attack in with it and I can't really block it effectively, but I also can't let it through because they can just sack their whole board and pump Dina and then they win. Right. Yeah. So, right. Think of it like an aggro silver quill deck or an imitation of uh, like Quandrix deck essentially, but like don't, Witherbloom does not really have its own identity.
0: Uh, So if we're looking at the good Witherbloom deck here, uh, again, those cards that you're talking about just jump out to me here. There's double
1: Witherbloom Apprentice and four Blood Researchers here. And then just a whole host of ways to synergize with them, right? It makes Spring Main Servants good cards. Hunt for Specimens are sweet because, you know, they're not only... Double triggering your Magecraft, but providing something that can potentially gain you life. Infuse with Vitality is quite good here. I mean, there's a Belladros Witherbloom at the top of the curve here, but it honestly just doesn't even matter. That's not something that jumps out at me as like why this deck is good.
0: Right. And one of the cards that is here that we haven't really talked much about in Witherbloom, Tenured Inkcaster can be kind of a beating at the top of a Witherbloom curve. That's the four and a black two, two um, that puts a counter on a creature. And whenever a creature control the plus one, plus one counter on attacks, each opponent loses a life and you gain a life. This card, I finally come around to this card just being good if your deck has counters in it. Now, like if this is your only counter, sometimes it's still fine. But if you have some creatures that are going to have counters on them already from Guiding Voices, or in this case, four Blood Researchers, Tenured Inkcaster is a big swing.
1: There's tons of chip damage in this deck like that, right? I'm also looking at Mage Hunter, the four mana, three, four. Whenever an opponent casts or copies an instant or sorcery spell, they lose a life. Like All of these cards that are just sort of like, eh, But they work together in a way that's like, you have to deal with this. You have to deal with this, right? How many questions is this deck posing? It's quite a lot.
0: Right. It's being proactive instead of reactive. And I think that is the the key thing to hammer home here for Witherbloom being successful.
1: Yeah. Well, as we take a look at this other Witherbloom deck that is perhaps not great, some things that jump out to me are Double Day Magothwo Eater in in conjunction with Attend the Pests. But like, what is this deck doing, right? It has two drops, Double Skirt Colony triple hunt for specimens, but that's not aggressive. It's playing double spring main servant, but where are the life gain synergies, you know? Like, what is happening with this deck? Right, this is a pile of green and black cards, I think. (laughs) Yeah, for sure, right? It's like I'm playing charge through to maybe trample over with the woe eaters. I'm playing unwilling ingredient. Like, there's just a lot of junk in this deck. Yes, agreed completely. (laughs) All right, last up, the sixth college, Ben. I do think we have to talk about the true control deck, which is Demir. Yeah, and I think this is
0: really the only consistently good true control deck. And even then that's tricky because there are so many decks attacking on so many different angles that you need to be able to answer. But I think the benefit of drafting Demir is that you get to potentially maximize really powerful cards that you can get a little later thanks to other people not being able to use them or maximize them. Chief among them being Serpentine Curve, right? That's your finisher in the deck. Three and a blue uh, make a fractal equal to the number of instants and sorceries in your graveyard plus one.
1: Yeah, that is really the key thing for the deck but it it can function without it but i think thinking about the deck in terms of maximizing that card will lead you towards the best versions of the deck not only because then you'll maximize the serpentine curves that you do pick up but also like the deck will work as a, a cohesive game plan better that way and so that the cheap learn spells are super important right hunt for specimens Cram session, even pop quiz and arcane subtraction, but the fact that those all existed common, plus like the good ways to interact, like barrier books, mage hunters onslaught, lash of malice, eliminate. Even if we get into the uncommons and flunk that t- sort of thing, like blue and black really have a lot of things that work well together in that respect. You get access to the best summonings right you get access to fractal elemental and inkling summoning in this color pair as well and there's also
0: just you know backing up that one for one removal you get the cards like pop quiz and the learn lessons that just
1: pull you ahead on card advantage as well so ways that the deck can fail is not enough serpentine curves and or other ways to close out the game right whether that's you don't have a deep enough lesson board um, you don't have enough threats you're not splashing the good stuff like elemental masterpieces or whatever like you you do need ways to win eventually
0: Right. And the deck frequently does want to splash, right? Like it's frequently splashing for exactly elemental masterpiece or some other, you know, top end threat to close out the game.
1: Right. It's usually got a, you know, off of your a redundant learn stuff, you have an environmental sciences in the board. So that means you can Deep splash a color, which is usually red for, as you said, masterpiece, get access to heated debate, igneous inspiration, maybe some some red bombs you can open like a magma opus or whatever. Yeah. So
0: other ways the deck doesn't get there, just not enough learn lesson. I think, you know, you really rely on two for one in your opponent over and over and over again in this deck. Not the right suite of removal to match up against opposing threats. You know, if your opponent's aggro and your removal is Mage Hunter's Onslaught and Rise of Extuse, and you don't have any of the Lash of Malice's or premium ways to interact early could potentially have a bad time. And then another thing that's been pretty awkward is drawing Serpentine Curves too early, right? The deck feels super powerful when you draw your Serpentine Curve on turn seven, turn eight. But if you have two of them in your opening hand, it's real awkward.
1: Right, I mean, it is possible to go like strategic planning or curate on two, get another spell in the yard, play a spell on three, and now it's a four, four. That that can happen, but I agree. You, you are hoping to not see them in your opener.
0: All right, so let's take a look at our good and bad decks here, yeah?
1: Yeah. So again, I, th- I feel like the 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 word of the day here, Ben, is redundancy. There's so much repetitive stuff happening here. Yeah. So there's
0: double hunt for specimens, right? Triple pop quiz, double serpentine curve. I think one of the things looking at this good version of the deck that sticks out to me that I'm a little surprised by is I don't see a
1: ton of great removal or interaction. Right? It's out of the lesson board. So there's intro to annihilation and necrotic fumes. I remember that specifically here. Um, and you know to a, to a lesser extent you know we've double pillar drop warden to get stuff back um but yeah I, re- I remember being like oh yeah i don't have a lot of removal but those two lessons really did work out of the board right and then some
0: serious bombs that we are splashing for here right so extuse auric overlord making the deck which is just a ridiculous card, especially with the amount of magecraft triggers you're going to be having here.
1: Well, this is—I'm mostly playing this for the back half. Awaken the Blood Avatar, though I—I I was able to cast it off of Letter of Acceptance, but I'm—I'm I'm splashing this as the back half.
0: Ooh, spicy!
1: Which is great. And if you've ever copied this with a Teach by Example or a Arutha, the game is just over because the Avatar is not legendary. Oh wow! Yeah, so you get two three sixes, double edict. They attack in, they deal six. Like yeah, the card is a bomb. That's sweet. But a really deep red splash here with that double pillar drop warden, triple elemental masterpiece. Yeah, like, again, just seeing all these decks that have double triple copies of cards that you want. That seems to be a real key, which I don't know, that's maybe obvious. But seeing them all in a row like this is really hitting that home for me. Well, and it's double triple copies of the best cards for the deck, right? Yes, for sure. It's not just double triple copies
0: of filler. It's like, these are the cards you want for the deck. These are the copies you have two to three cards of. If we take a look at the Demir deck that didn't quite get there, taking a look at this again, we've got like pieces of everything, but just not really coming together the way that you would want, right? We have triple serpentine curve as closers, right? Check. That's great. We have no hunt for specimens. And I think hunt for specimens is so, so, so key to Demir ticking because it gives you a board presence, right? while you're derping around and you know building towards these big serpentine curves and the other thing that sticks out to me here is we don't have great early interaction Um, you know we've got a lash of malice we've got baryan books but that's about it as far as ways to interact cheaply and then we've got double rise of x juice hanging at the top of the curve
1: Well, you also don't have great ways to fuel the serpentine curves right there's no like you have a lot of two drops here but Two of them are test of talents. Two of them are teach by example. You're not playing those on turn two or three, right? So you don't even have those ways of, you know, you really need, like you said, hunt for specimens, but even like curates or strategic plannings or just any ways, no pop quizzes in the three drop slot. There's not a lot of ways to fuel these curves on curve. Right. Like this deck is very close to being very good, I think, but just because it's missing those few key elements, it really
0: didn't get there.
1: Yeah. This is a really cool episode that we've never done before.
0: Yeah, I like it. It's it's interesting to take a look at the decks. And I think just seeing that redundancy thing over and over and over again hit you in the face and you all are hearing us describe it. But um, again, we'll have all these links where you download the show if you want to dive in and take a look at them yourselves. Yeah, for sure.
1: Great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases or signing up for CFB Pro, please use the code lol at checkout to let them know we sent you there you can check us out streaming i'm at twitch.tv slash lord tupperware ben is at twitch.tv slash mr metronome we're both under those same usernames on twitter and you can tweet at the podcast at lords of limited if you've got any feedback about the show or any questions shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of lords of limited thanks everybody see you later
0: Please use code LOL when you go over channel Fireball so that they know that we know. No. So yes, wait. (laughs) Dang it. I was doing so good.